This ceremony was officiated by Jeffrey Shugan Arnold Roshi at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugan Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmn.org. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. So this morning we're doing a Chikai ceremony, which means to receive the precepts, the Kai, which are the moral teachings of Buddhism. And the particular form of these precepts, these bodhisattva precepts, uh, come to us through Dogen in the 13th century, but really trace their origins back to the time of the Buddha with the ten wholesome and unwholesome actions. The Buddha said that we are, in essence, moral beings because we experience pain and pleasure. We can destroy life, but we can also affirm life. And so our actions, when they arise out of our intentions, our intentional actions create a karma that changes us and changes others in the world. And so in that way, although we ourselves are just a person, in a sense, not that significant within the whole entirety of, of the world and creatures and humanity, we have influence. And that influence can either be serving, helping, bringing us together, healing wounds, or it can be creating wounds and dividing us. And of course, we see displays of both aspects all the time. And so the Buddha said, in this path of liberation, to liberate ourselves from that which leads us to create suffering, we have to, it is necessary for us to understand the morality that exists within each, uh, within each, uh, within each of us, and to work with that. Which means, at the same time, we have to recognize the ways in which we act um, unskillfully, in ways that are hurtful, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, which means we have to understand the nature of cause and effect of karma, how things work. We have to understand our own mind. To the best of our ability, we need to understand the minds of others so that we can be an active bodhisattva on this path of liberation and of bringing goodness, compassion, loving kindness, patience, generosity into the world through our own actions. And so in this morning ceremony, these four students have been practicing training within the Sangha for some years and have been preparing for this, have been here all week. We've been meeting each day, looking at different aspects of these teachings, at vows, at the responsibility that they are freely stepping into. And so it is a has a, a solemnity to it, the ceremony, because whenever anybody makes vows, that is a solemn occasion because it is, as Dogen said, bringing about a kind of inner conversion within us. We are aligning ourselves with something that we consider to be extremely important and that we want to be a guiding force in our lives. And so that's very important. We need to have done that thoughtfully to understand to the best of our ability that which we're committing to. And at the same time, it's a very joyful and celebratory moment because, for the very same reasons, whenever somebody makes a commitment, a vow, 
to live their life in such a way that is really based in wanting to bring benefit to the world, we should celebrate that. <laughs> and so <clears throat> uh, we'll begin with the recipients making a series of bows. So first they'll bow to the Buddha, the altar, our original teacher, who as practitioners we are deeply indebted to because otherwise we wouldn't be here, and who set this Dharma wheel of teachings and practices into motion. And so first they'll do a series of bows to the Buddha. And after which the altar will be closed and the new altar established here. So these bows are in a sense bowing to the Buddha and the lineage that has brought us together, that has brought these teachings down to us. And then next we'll do a series of bows to their parents if they're here or in the direction of where their parents may be living or deceased. And that's a recognition of our genetic lineage, our blood lineage. And so it's an expression of gratitude and appreciation to our parents for whom we are indebted to for our life. <clears throat> so these series of bows basically are recognizing the various streams, the essential streams that have brought us together, brought these four students here today. It's an expression of the profound interdependence of our lives, that our lives are utterly dependent upon a vast web and network of people, the earth, conditions, time, in every moment. In the last series of bows will be made to the precepts teacher, the Kaishian, today's case myself. And now we will do the invocation of the three treasures, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, which really constitute the essence of Buddhist tradition. It is really what, in the deepest sense, makes the, all of the practices and the teachings that we are doing, the ways in which we gather together, um, a fun, fundamentally Buddhist. And what's important to understand in these three treasures is that they ultimately realize as one's own body and mind, and they have specific understandings in terms of the Buddha being the original teacher, Shakyamuni, Dharma being the teachings, and the Sangha being the gathering of practitioners that we practice with, but that ultimately they realized as all enlightened nature, all things, and all beings. So in that way, the three treasures are utterly inclusive of everything. So everyone, please go show. <clears throat> Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Jodaishi. Be one with Taiso Josadaishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. 
Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Taiso Joyadaishi. Be one with Koso Joyadaishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyadaishi. Be one with Taiso Joyadaishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Some of the beings that we invoke are historical beings and some of them are not. And for those of us participating in the ongoing intimate language, <clears throat> intimate phrases, the power of the mind that is constantly creating mental images, ideas, concepts, we can use those ins powerful instruments of our mind to create hell on earth and for each other. We can create heaven on earth. We can create a deluded mind. We can bring forth an enlightened mind. It's good to consider that within this liturgy of the Chikai ceremony. Next, we'll do the Goth of Atonement. Why don't you sit for a minute? <clears throat> so recognizing, we spoke earlier in the week of how um, by necessity in committing to a life, a moral life, which really, because that word can, we can have a lot of associations with that, that a moral life means to just be dedicated to simply not harming. At all times and always, as much as possible, to not create harm in the world. When we do that, to do that with knowledge and awareness, and to do that to the, to the, as little as possible, and to bring forth good by practicing these precepts, to be in the world in that way, and to also make sure that the good that we're creating directly benefits others. Sentient beings, two-legged, four-legged, winged, rooted, all of them. So that again, this is how we commit ourselves to being a benefit in the world. It's not abstract, it's not theoretical. It's not always clear, because sometimes situations are complex, our minds can be complicated. But the thing itself is very direct and simple. And so in order to do that, that means we have to reckon with all that we are that we bring into this moment and, and those actions in, that were not skillful, in which we did create harm. And we all have such moments. And so we, do, we practice the Goth of Atonement. We turn towards those things. We take responsibility for them. We recognize how they arise from certain mental and so emotional states within us. We speak of that as greed, anger, and delusion, pride and jealousy, the clashes. We recognize how we bring those forth through our thoughts, words, our language, and our actions, our physical actions. This is how we do things in the world that create those harms. 
and then we take responsibility, and that empowers us. We talked about how when we don't do that, that energy of our regret, our remorse just is entangled within us. It has nowhere to go, because we can't change the actions of our past, and so we have to bring it into the present by taking responsibility and learning from those actions, clarifying what brought them forth, how we can we can do better in the, in the present and in the future. And now that energy has somewhere to go through our vows and our commitment. Now it's flowing into the present and into the future in terms of our commitment, our renewed commitment. So the Gotha Atonement is very important. So we'll do this all together three times in a call and echo manner. So everyone's invited to take this Gotha Atonement. Everyone, Kasho, please. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. Account to my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. All evil crime ever committed by me since of old. to my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. All evil crime ever committed by me since of old. Out to my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. Buddhism helps us to under Buddhist practice helps us to understand is that when we relax for that when we turn away from the things that we cannot escape they get harder and more difficult when we turn towards them with skill and understanding then they're no longer the same thing
So now we will begin the receiving of these precepts with the three treasures. And we spoke about this earlier. Why are these three treasures the first of what you receive and what you take vows in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha? So I'll leave that as an open question for all of us. Why the precepts, these moral teachings, grounded in the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, why do you take refuge in the three treasures as the first essential step in receiving these moral teachings and making vows to them? What is Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha? Within your own body-mind, within the universe, what is taking refuge? Dogen says it's to rely unreservedly. What is there in this world that we can unreservedly rely upon? Is it outside? Is it inside? And so we'll take refuge. This is, begins with the Buddha. This is an ancient practice that goes all the way back over 25 centuries. So again, we'll do this together um, three times through. First and last time I'll do this alone, and then second time we'll... Um, no, we'll do it all... <coughs> All the way. <laughs> so call and response all the way through. Okay, three times. Everyone got show? I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for his purity. In the Sangha, honorable for its pure harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. Refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have 
have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. This is the articulation, the practice, the embodiment of being in the world as a bodhisattva, as a Buddha, as an enlightening being on the path of enlightenment, to not create harm, understanding that the harm is only created in the mind. It doesn't just exist in the world. Nothing just exists in the world. Everything is a, arises in an interdependent relationship with others, actions, conditions. And so all the, and when we say not creating evil, that's very big. As we discuss this, most of us don't think of ourselves as evil beings or creating evil in the world. But this is also understood in terms of all the possibilities of human nature, of human potential, through all of the lives that have ever been lived since the beginning through the lives that are being lived right now. And so it's all-encompassing. And so to not create all within that whole spectrum of harmful doing, to practice good, to live according to these precepts, these teachings, to be a moral being, to realize that good, too, only comes into being when we create it, in our mind, through our bodies, our language. That's how powerful we are. That's how powerful we are. And to actualize good for others, to understand that we, we want to, we must bring this forward. Right? So it's not just kept, preserved within some small sphere, but we're actually trying to live more expansive lives based in humility, based in selflessness. So the three pure precepts. The first of the pure precepts is to not create evil. This is the very abiding place of all Buddhas. This is the very source of all Buddhas. Will you maintain this? I vow to not create evil. Second pure precept is to practice good, to practice the virtues. This is the Dharma of Samyak Sambodhi, perfect an excelled enlightenment. This is the way of all beings. Will you maintain this? Practice good. I vow to practice good. And the third pure precept is to actualize good for others. This is to transcend the profane and to be beyond the holy. This is to liberate oneself and others. Actualize good for others. Will you maintain this? I vow to actualize good for others. It's interesting to look at what Dogen is saying here, to transcend the profane, to free ourselves of that which is of samsara, of all the deluded actions and thoughts and views that cause the suffering in the world, and to be beyond the holy. Right? And this is one of the sort of pervasive and ongoing tensions within any religious practice. 
in devoting ourselves to having faith in, to committing ourselves to transcending the profane, to live the life of a Buddha, of a Bodhisattva, to not grasp at, to become mired in, to not make a dogma of the Dharma, of that which is good, because when we attach to it, when we turn it into something rigid and tight, we're creating boundaries. Who is the holy one? Who is the profane one? And then that religious practice, which has truth and goodness in it, becomes dangerous, becomes the very functioning of that which we're committed to undo. And so Buddhism has a very deep understanding of the skillfulness of this, and at the same time, how all of these teachings and practices, as essential as they are, are empty of any intrinsic characteristic quality. So when we attach to them, we're actually deluding not those teachings, but ourselves, and calling it something sacred, calling it something religious. And of course, we also see examples of this. And so it's really very deep within the wisdom of Buddhism to be on the alert to this. So the pure precepts really point to how to be in the world in the largest way possible and in a way that is very immediate, that is always present now. And as we talked about, sometimes these pure precepts are extremely important in giving us guidance in how, in complex situations, to navigate. The grave precepts point us into the direction of specific ways in which human beings, Buddhist and non-Buddhist, in every time, in every place, cause some of the most burdensome harm. One of the things that we have an ongoing inclination to do, that we need to be alert to, because they create the most difficult karma within ourselves and between ourselves. And so the grave precepts are those wisdom teachings. And they each contain the essence of what we need to be alert to and cease from doing, and then what we need to be doing to, to transform that same energy and bring it into the world in such a way that it is a positive force. Both of those are essential. It's not enough to just cease from harm, right? None of us want to just live a life that has no harm in it. We want to live a life that actually has all the good. In it. So we have to be actively engaged in both aspects of that. <clears throat> so the first of the grave precepts is to affirm life, to not kill. And this is recognizing that all things, animate and inanimate, have life. And they're just by virtue of their being. And in that, they fulfill their own dharma state. They're in this world. They fulfill some role. And in that, they, they have, we should respect the life of everything, right? And so this is to be in the world in a way that is not harming, that is not unnecessarily taking life. In essence, it's the precept that sort of loves life. Every creature exists within its own web of cause and conditions that is mutually arising. We are an intricate part of that. We don't always recognize that. We very often don't recognize that. No creature falls short of its completeness. It exists within its own totality. Each thing has its own virtue. This precept is to live in harmony with those essential truths. When we kill something, it, we take away that life. And this is also to not harbor a mind of killing. 
So while we necessarily understand this in terms of taking away life, think of all the things that we can take the life away from. Love, trust, inclusion. Durban says, life is non-killing. The seed of Buddha grows continuously. Maintain the wisdom life of Buddha and do not kill life. Vow to affirm life, do not kill. Will you maintain this? I vow to affirm life, I will not kill. To be giving, to not steal. So this clearly points to just the, the simple but consequential act of taking something that doesn't belong to us. The affirmative side of this is really recognizing that in, in essence we are generous beings. Generosity is an essential part of our nature, but it gets dampened, it gets obscured by self-clinging. And so to be in the world in a way that is giving, is giving of life, is giving whatever will help, whatever will, whatever will serve, because without giving we stand in isolation. It's giving, the first paramita that brings us into intimate contact with each other. And so in giving our mutual and essential Codependence becomes clear and self-healing. And it's also the practice of not, of not developing or dwelling within a grasping mind, a mind that seeks contentment in things, in power, in titles and positions, but rather cultivate generosity. Dogen says the mind and externals are just us, each and in itself. The gate of liberation is open. Vow to be giving, do not steal. Will you maintain this? I vow to be giving, I will not steal. The next precept is to honor the, the body, do not misuse sexuality. So recognizing that desire is present within every living being, the desire to live, the desire for food. In human beings we have sexual desire which is a very powerful desire. And desire is within bodhicitta. It is within what draws us into practice and motivates us, but it has to be, in a sense, harnessed, has to be understood, has to be directed well. Sexual desire is a very powerful force. It can destroy love. It can create love. It can create deep wounds. It can heal wounds. It can bring us together. It can drive us apart. And so this vow is to not separate the mind from body, the body from the person, from intelligence, from emotion, from all the constituent parts of the person, but rather to use this energy to bring us closer. A person is not an idea. It is not our projection. It is not property. It is something to be wielded skillfully. Dogen says, the three wheels of body, mouth, and mind, greed, anger, and delusion, are pure and clean. Nothing is desired. Go the same way as the Buddha. Honor the whole person, do not misuse sexuality. Vow to honor the whole person, do not misuse sexuality. Will you maintain this? I vow to honor the whole body, I will not misuse sexuality. So that precept points to within a committed relationship to be true to that. In all our relationships with people to be respectful and non-aggressive with regards to sexuality. 
third precept is the manifest truth, to not lie. And this precept is really at the essence of Buddha Dharma, to be in the, in the world within ourselves in a way that is true, that is in alignment with what is true, to act harmoniously with what is true. And so to realize our, ourselves is to realize that which is true. When we open the Dharma eye, we see that things, that all is true. Bodhidharma said, in that moment, all that appeared false before is realized to be true in and of itself. That nothing exists within a state of inherent deception. That's something we do in our mind. Falseness only exists there in the mind. And so the, our path is really to live within that truth, to manifest this. And that means to be courageous, to not be afraid of what is true. The Buddha said in the sutras that when we face what is ultimately true, very often we will become anxious and agitated and fearful. Right? And so we have to practice stepping towards, into what is true. In the deepest sense, in the simplest sense, it is to live ultimately lightly and with a straightforward mind to not create unnecessary burdens and baggage and regret. Logan says the Dharma wheel unceasingly turns and there's neither excess nor incompleteness. Sweet dew permeates the universe. Gain the essence, realize the truth. Vow to manifest truth, do not lie. Will you maintain this? I vow to manifest truth, I will not lie. The next precept is to proceed clearly, <clears throat> to not cloud the mind. So traditionally, this refers to intoxicants, drinking and drugging, ways that it, it obscure the natural, inherent clarity of the mind, bright and radiant like the sun, luminous like the moon. It is the mind of suchness. It is ever-present. It is what we are practicing to uncover, to discover, to realize. It is the basis of all that we do in practice. It is miraculous in its brightness and radiance. When it's hidden, everything appears dull and dimmed. Why do we amp up, right, and keep increasing and increasing and increasing the volume and the pitch to try and cut through the dullness and the dimness, the obscurations, to try and have some glimpse of something that is bright and clear. There's another way. And so when we encounter the real self, we're no longer, we no longer become infatuated and enchanted with all that basically brings us away, turns us away. When we encounter the bright, clear mind, we no longer yearn for that dullness, that fogginess. Ultimately, we realize there is no escape. Everywhere you go, there you are. Right? For someone who wants to escape, that's bad news. For someone who no longer wants to escape, that's good news. There is no other realm. Dogen says, the mind is the original pure and clear Buddha mind. Do not let it become cloudy. Do not defile it. Vow to proceed clearly, do not cloud the mind. Will you maintain this? I vow to proceed clearly, I will not cloud the mind. And in our time, that we need to also understand all the different ways we can cloud the mind with incessant 
noise, information, technology. The next precept is to see the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults. This is a very interesting precept because in many situations we need to recognize an error or a fault in ourselves or in others, so to correct it, to bring attention. So how do we do that in the spirit of this precept? To do it without any pleasure, to do it only for the sake of the other, to bring about something that is good, not to do it without any ill will or bitterness, in other words, that it's arising from compassion. It's We're speaking those words full out of loving kindness, even if they are strong words and firm words. To study our own karma is to gain understanding about others. To recognize our own errors and faults can bring forth compassion within ourselves, for ourselves, but also for others. The more we understand karma, we understand our mind, we understand other people's minds. The sense of otherness, which is a source of, of really all of the suffering that we create in the world. We create an other, an object of that which we do harm to, is present in every form of anger, every form of aggression and violence. Yet all of that is based on a basic delusion that we have of ourselves and others. And this precept is pointing to seeing the perfection, seeing the true nature of all beings. And this also precept is also helping to help us to learn how to make mistakes, how to stumble. There is a practice of stumbling and falling. There is a practice of rising and stepping forward. Both are essential. You know, the myth of perfection is not just a myth, it's a danger. It's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. But it causes so much harm when we impose that on ourselves and others. So actually, learning how to stumble is very important in practice. Thirdly says, in the midst of the Buddha Dharma, we're the same way, the same Dharma, the same realization, the same practice. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Do not destroy the way. Vow to see the perfection. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Will you maintain this? I vow to see the perfection. I will not see others' errors and faults. And as a Buddhist, you know, we can box put ourselves into a box where we think we can never do that. We can never speak a word that is in any way critical of another, which is not what this precept is pointing to. It says, when necessary to do so, do so, but know your mind. Know where that's coming from. Right? That's what it's speaking to. The next precept is to realize self and other is one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. So this is a different way, a slightly different way of using harsh language, dividing language. The sense of self is a creation of the mind. It exists within everyone. It's not the enemy, but when we don't understand it, when we when we attach to it, then it becomes, let's call it problematic. <laughs> the sense that we create of a self in others is the same. We do it to ourselves, we do it to others, we do it to things. But in every moment, there's only a single moment of arising and passing, birth and death. There is no one inherently to build up or to tear down. There is no person 
inherently, intrinsically, to defend or to criticize. And so out of the sake of compassion, when it's necessary to defend or to criticize, do so only to alleviate suffering, to bring about joy, to help, to serve. When there's no longer self-clinging, we're no longer buoyed up by praise, crushed by blame. We can use them to the degree that they're useful. This is to respect the essential nature of each person, whether we agree with them or not. Dogen says, Buddhas and ancestors realize the absolute emptiness in the whole earth. When the great body is manifested, there is no inside or outside. That's what's realized. When the Dharma body is manifested, there's not even an inch of earth upon which to stand. And that Dharma body includes everything and everyone. Vow to realize the self in others. One, do not elevate the self and blame others. Will you maintain this? I vow to realize the self in others. One, I will not elevate the self and blame others. You know, what these precepts always point to is that when we go against what these precepts are pointing to, it's exhausting, basically. Because you have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. Right? There is no rest. There is no relaxation in samsara. Right? It's heavy labor <laughs> that we mask, and that's why we have to create so many sort of um, all of it. Right? Is to is to mask the tired, relentless, heavy lifting of it all. To live these precepts, we can think of living a moral life as being burdensome because we don't get to have all the pleasures. Buddhism, in a sense, is about living a life that is joyful and has happiness in it and has pleasure, but understands how to have pleasure, to understand how to have pleasure in such a way that it doesn't then lead to more suffering. The next precept is to give generously, to not be withholding. So this precept, to steal, is to take what doesn't belong to us. To live generously, to not be withholding, is to realize we have something we could offer that could help. Dharma, knowledge, patience, listening, just being present, food, a gift. It's endless, basically, in terms of what we can offer. And the teachings are very clear about this. It has nothing to do with with cost, with price, with glitter. It has to do with the mind of giving, to not be withholding. Because within withholding, we create a cycle that confines us, creates anxiety, never enough. Never enough. If I give, I will use it all up. I'll be bereft. What we realize is that when we give, we have more. It makes us larger. And it's also about just living simply, deeply about being responsive to each moment. And to knowing, it's really developing the faith that you are vast and contain the multitude. You are enough. You, we all have something to offer. Dogen says, one phrase, one verse, 10,000 forms, 100 grasses, one dharma, one realization, all Buddhas, all ancestors. Since the beginning, there never has been anything to withhold. It doesn't belong to us. Vow to give generously, to not be withholding. Will you maintain this? 
I vow to give generously. I will not be withholding. The ninth precept is to actualize harmony, to not be angry. So, precept before is really dealing with our greed, grasping, clinging mind. This is dealing with our aversive, aversion. The mind that says no. The mind of violence, the mind of hatred, the mind of impatience, irritation, all the subtle forms of anger that we just accommodate, and all of the very extreme forms of anger that destroy. And so it's recognizing that that force within us is a force, right? And this precept means that anger sometimes can be very powerful. It can call one's attention to something that needs attention. It can startle us into recognizing that we're in the midst of something that we need to be paying attention to and we're not. So it can be a compassionate force. In the mind and body of one who knows, who understands, who is not trying to destroy, but is actually trying to affirm something. It only arises within us because anger is already present. It is not something anyone can cause in us fundamentally, give to us. It can burn down a village. It can build a village. And so when it's used without self-clinging, it can be very powerful, but we need to know. We need to be clear. It can be like thunder that calls attention. It can move within us without, with great compassion. It can also just be completely calm and drop away. And when it drops away, what's left is compassion. When self-clinging drops away from anger, it's compassion. It's to realize that the conflict, the conflict is in the mind. There is no conflict outside of this. Dogen says, it is not regressing, it is not advancing, it is not real, it's not unreal. Both sides. Don't deny, don't indulge. There is an illuminated cloud ocean, there is an ornamented cloud ocean. Vow to actualize harmony, do not be angry. Will you maintain this? I vow to actualize harmony, I will not be angry. And the tenth of the great precepts is to experience the intimacy of things, to not defile the three treasures. So we began with taking refuge in the three treasures. Dogen says, cast off the self-clinging, all self-clinging, and enter into the house of Buddha. To take refuge in the, in the three treasures is to enter into the house of Buddha. It is to live and abide and come forth in the house of Buddha Dharma. When we defile the three treasures, to defile is to cause harm, to separate ourselves, to in some way want to injure. Why? Students would sometimes say, why would I ever want to do this? Why would I want to lash out at the Buddha? Why would I want to lash out at the Dharma? Why would I want to lash out to the Sangha? Well, I think we could ask people in this room right now and get answers as to why. <laughs> when we're frustrated, when we're upset, when we're angry about something within our practice, when things aren't going as expected, when it's real, 
when we're actually in the presence of that which we, are, which we need to encounter, if we want to be free, it can seem easier to just turn that in, in, on, and, and put it on somebody else. To not take responsibility, to see it, to externalize that. Whenever our practice is stumbling, right, take refuge. And so this precept is bringing us back, it's, it's helping us to understand how fortunate we are, how powerful the three treasures are, how we need to, in a sense, not protect the three treasures themselves, but ourselves, our mind, in relationship to the three treasures. When we turn against the three treasures, we turn against our own home, against our mind. When we take refuge, we take refuge in the body and mind of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And so to really appreciate the three treasures as your own precious life, as precious as life itself. Bhagavan says, living the Dharma with the whole body and mind is the heart of wisdom and compassion. All virtues return to this ocean of reality. You should not comment on them, just practice them, realize them, actualize them. Vow to experience the intimacy of things. Do not defile the three treasures. Will you maintain this? I vow to experience the intimacy of things. I will not defile the three treasures. These 16 precepts. The three treasures, the pure precepts, the ten great precepts were handed down by Shakyamuni Buddha generation after generation, life after life, to my teacher, to me, and now I give them to you. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you really maintain them well? I will. This is to certify that Ranish Nadal, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements of the Zimata Monastery and the Order, has on the 17th day of September 2023 received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the lineage chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Kasho. Kichmiaku. 
Alexander Rothstein, having fulfilled the requirements of the Zen Mountain Monastery and the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on the 17th day of September 2023 received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the lineage chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Rogetsu. Sharon Kelly, having fulfilled the training requirements of Zen Mountain Monastery, the Mazarin's Order, has on the 17th day of September 2023 received the precepts of the Bodhisattva vows, the lineage chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Chigo. Teresa Brain, having fulfilled the requirements of the Monastery and Mountains and Rivers Order, has on the 17th day of September 2023 received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the lineage chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Ryoka. Sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the Great Enlightenment. Truly they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the Great Enlightenment. Truly they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the Great Enlightenment. Truly they are the children of the Buddha. So now the, these four bodhisattvas will do a, walk through the zendo in a walking bow, passing each person's seat. So please offer them your gasho, palm to palm. 
in recognition of their having taken these vows. In this way, the Sangha is very much and essentially a part of their taking vows. We do this together. Okay, so let me just say a few brief words about your names. <clears throat> so it's customary in many religious traditions to receive a, a name. In our tradition, this is a Dharma name uh, teaching. We use the tradition of the Chinese characters, or Chan arising out of China and our Chinese ancestors. And these characters are nice because they often have a sort of a range of meanings, certain sort of hues and tints of meaning. They can take on different aspects within your own practice as you um, use the name, as others call you by name, as it evolves with your own practice. And so, Rani, your name, Kasho. Ka means fine, joyful, auspicious. And so fine has the quality of excellence, of something that has a kind of quality of character, of excellence from the beginning. And in that excellence, there's a joy that comes forth within itself that brings joys to others when we experience something that is fine within itself. It uplifts, it radiates that quality in all directions. And in that way, it has the capacity to change a mind, a possibility, an outlook. And in that way, it becomes auspicious, portentous. It holds the seeds of change, of great potential. Show is spirit, vitality. The great spirit, the essential life force that runs through each of us. That great energy that animates, that motivates. It is the heart of our bodhicitta. It is moving through us in compassion. That spirit that transforms, that liberates. When we cling to things, our false views exhausts our spirit and vitality. Practice brings us into intimate contact with this vitality show. And it liberates us so that we can manifest our patience, our generosity, that we can be there for others, that we can be enthusiastic. You know, it's interesting that in facing suffering, we might think this is going to be a very stern and solemn affair, right? As we trudge along facing suffering, alleviating suffering. <laughs> But from the very beginning, even in the, time, in the time of the Buddha, it was recognized that, you know, this is a pretty kind of a joyful group. What's going on here? <laughs> and so it, it liberates that enthusiasm, the joyful effort, our vigor. And so the fineness of ka is already here in abundance and possesses all that is and all that will be. And it needs to be brought out into the daylight. This is practice. This is show. The auspicious wind and fire of bodhicitta, the gentle rain of compassion, kasho's joyful, auspicious spirit. Alex, your name, Rogetsu. Ro means open, unobstructed, unprotected, 
exposed. Those things, those very qualities that we so cherish in others and often can be so frightened of within ourselves. This openness, this exposure arises out of deep faith in Buddha nature, in our own basic humanity, which we cultivate, in the three treasures. Within it, it is vulnerable and it is intelligent. Vulnerable because we realize there is actually no place to hide this true body. There is no desire. We are cultivating a desire to not conceal our karmic self. And it is intelligent because it arises from wisdom. It is what we practice refining in everyday practice. It is devoted to our awakening. Getsu is moon. And in the waxing and waning of the moon, whether it's revealed or hidden in clouds, it's always full, it's always bright, it's always complete. The sun's radiance is bright and penetrating, piercing. It cuts through all the darkest shadows. Moonlight has its own quality that is unique, it's transcendent, it's soft, it's subtle. It is transcendent, it illuminates the valley and yet sometimes in that illumination we have to look carefully to see things clearly. The moon has accompanied many a traveler on a dark and lonely night, showing the way, bringing a kind of warmth and comfort. An old master said, the mind moon is alone and full. Its light swallows all the myriad forms. Buddhas and bodhisattvas always have the mind moon because they make moon their mind. There is no mind apart from moon. There is no moon apart from mind. And alone and full here means nothing is lacking. Rogetsu is open, exposed moon. Sharon, your name, Chigo. Chi is the earth, ground. There you are. The earth, the ground. <clears throat> The essential ground, the source of all life, is essence, sort of the quintessential stability. But it is living. It is a pulsing thing. It shifts and changes. It's not static. And so its stability is within that change. Samsara is by its nature unstable, precarious, fragile. That's why it's so tiring. Chi. The earth ground rises to meet us perfectly in every step. It graciously accepts our sitting, our standing and walking. It is a source of all life, this earth ground. Go, chi go, go means strong, powerful. It points to an inner strength. It is the radiance and brilliance of chi. Whether it appears softly, as it can, or whether it appears with firmness or with great strength, whether it is advancing or retreating, there is an inner strength that is always present, a light that can always radiate out, that can be drawn upon. Even when a great wind is blowing, Chigo has stability and confidence. Walt Whitman said, this earth, this earth ground, with this great inner strength, neither lags nor hastens. It has all attributes, growths, effects, latent in weight that is always present and ready. 
It is not so concealed either. It is calm and subtle, untransmissible by print, beyond words. It is imbued through all things conveying themselves willingly, freely, generously. Chigo is the ground of this inner strength. And Teresa Ryoka, Ryo here means clear, lucid, free of dust or cloudiness like pure, sweet water. That no matter how stirred it may be, no matter how cloudy it may seem to be, its nature is always the same. Clear and lucid, it hides nothing, it distorts nothing. When you look deeply into it, you can see all the way through. So Rho and this lucidity is very direct, it's straight ahead. It's, it is not creating more confusion. That is the nature of lucidity or distrust, but it sees and reveals all things just as they are. Ka is a flame, a bright and burning flame. Fire, one of the great elements, the basic elements. It is a powerful force. It is essential to life. And because it is so powerful, we must study it. We must become intimate with it. We must come close to it and learn how to befriend this great flame, this force, because we need to hold it. We are already holding it. And so we have to wield it with all of its potential because it has the power to burn away all of the unnecessary traces and reveal that inner luster, that lucidity, Rio, and bring benefit to others. But as it can also burn out of control. And in that, it can, be, it can lose its life-giving power. And so in essence, one must become a master fire handler, a master of handling fire to bring forth a deep, clear, and lucid wonder, Ryoka. So today you have begun something new in taking these vows. Having been practicing these years, there is a continuum. But something new has begun today in the midst of the Sangha. And in that you have entered into a great, profound implication of these teachings and made them, made a commitment to make them your body and mind and to make that body and mind large and vast and clear and penetrating and to really appreciate the gift of reality that in these teachings they are not a rule. There is no rule in compassion. There is no book that tells you what to do. You are that book. You are the maker of how to be in this world. You have the source of that wisdom. You are committing your life to opening that door and bringing it forth every day. You will make mistakes. We will be there with you as you make them. You have learned and are learning how to make mistakes as a bodhisattva, which is a very powerful thing. How to bring healing to yourselves and others. And to reflect on the gift of that. It is humble. It is simple. In a simple way, it's not a big deal. It's really what all of us should be doing. It's what this life is about. 
and in an old way, it's a big deal, right? Because there's a lot at stake, and it's bigger than you, it's bigger than us, it's bigger than any one thing. And in that sense, we are all depending on each other, whether we know it or not. And that is the gift of this life, to be able to step into that and say, I will, I am. So thank you for taking these vows. May your life go well. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.